I don't know. I don't know how to feel today. <clears throat> a, a bit of water, please. Uh, what is, is that, happening? What's happening? Our country is on fire. It is the country. It is the state. It is almost the city. Everything is on fire, and this is not fine. It is the opposite of fine. It is actually quite a problem in all the ways that you can look at. It really is. And so we thought today that we would have a bit of a somber conversation about climate change. Hi, I'm Kirsten Banks. And I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And, and we, we are, are the Scientists. Welcome to a new episode of The Scientists, where today you've heard us laugh, you've heard us be angry, you've, you've heard us be sad before. Today's going to be a bit of a mixed bag of emotions in terms of the episode, because we are going to be tackling climate change today and trying to talk about a few of the main points about climate change, a few things that you may not have considered. We just want to say this is a very complex conversation. We're going to try and cover as much as we can, but don't worry. I have a very exciting thing at the end of the episode for you. So hang in there with us. That is good because right now in front of me, I don't know how many pieces of paper I have trying to be organized to be able to compile and to extract the most important information that we want to give to you regarding this uh, very important topic. And if I'm talking a bit slowly and a bit more seriously that I usually do, it is because global warming and one of the consequences, the climate change, is a really, really, really important problem. It really is. But before than doing anything of that, let's go to recover our standard... A standard logical way of doing our episodes with space news. Space news, yes. You start or I start? I, I think you start. I start with yes. my... Point here, it is something that some astronomers have been noticing during the last few months, that is that our very famous bright red star Betelgeuse is dimming in brightness. It is. Probably all of you know that Betelgeuse it is uh, one of the brightest stars in the constellation of Orion. Mm -hmm. I think... The shoulder. Close to the third brightest star in the night sky. Third is Vega. That's right. Yeah, it would be within the top it ten. Will, it will be Sirius and Canopus, yeah. Vega, and then I don't know the rest. Alpha Centauri, Alpha Centauri have to be around there, yeah. yes. It's bright. It is. Very easy to see. Yeah. But although it doesn't look that bright sometimes because it is red. It is very red. Yes. In the same way that Antares, that is the heart of the Scorpio constellation, Antares, the name, I think we have told that it means against Mars. Oh, because, not Mars. <laughs> or, or no Mars, because it just rivals the red color of Mars. And of course, it's that's because planet. both of these stars are red supergiant stars. That's why they're quite, quite cool in terms of stars. So they give off that reddish tinge. We also knew that... Uh, Betelgeuse is a variable star. 
mm. and its brightness is changing in just some few hundreds of days. There are a few different cycles, though. Mm-hmm. I think it has two, maybe three. I think it's two different cycles of how it changes its brightness. One over a couple, about 100 days or so and one over a bit of a shorter time frame, I believe. So the main one, it is a dominant period of around 420 Something like that, but yes, uh, some few days, yes, yep. 420 days. Don't Sorry. forget your units on help. Thank you very much, and I always complaining about that to all <laughs> my students. Sorry. Thank you. But during the last few weeks and months, it have been seen that definitely it is dimming in, in mm. brightness. It still is bright. That triggered the alarm. Is it going to be a supernova? So, yeah, Beetlejuice, are you okay? <laughs> What's going on, buddy? <laughs> are we going to lose that star and we're going to get a supernova there? And that would be so exciting if we could. No. But alas, no. No. I'm sad. No. It's so, still, it, I, I must point out, though, it still will happen soon. Eventually. Within the next million years or so. Some studies have suggested up to about 100,000 years, which is a bit more promising. <laughs> Not so much for our lifetime, but eh, maybe. It's on the cards, potentially. Yeah, but no. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> A girl uh, can dream. Talking about scientific facts, and we are going to be talking about plenty of scientific facts today. Mm-hmm. I cannot say at 100% that Beetlejuice is not going to explode as a supernova in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. But... 99.9999, plenty of nines, oh. that we are quite confident if our models of stellar evolutions and stellar interiors are working the way we really think they work, mm-hmm. Betelgeuse will still be there for quite a long time. Definitely oh. all our life. As much as I obviously respect and believe the science and obviously I'd have a good working knowledge of how stars work, I'm still in denial. I want it to explode. <laughs> I want to see a star explode. You probably will see another one, but not that one. Just not that one. Not that one. That's okay. Anyway, I the guess. point was, or the situation, or the alarm was triggered because on the 8th of December this year, a group of astronomers led by uh, Edward Ginan from the Villanova University in the US reported in an astronomer's telegram. That definitely... I'm sorry, did you say Astronomer's Telegram? Astronomer's Telegram, yes. No way. There is an Astronomer's Telegram. Oh, so you did say Astronomer Telegram, yes. not Stellagram. No, it's Telegram. Telegram. Astronomer's Telegram. Oh, it should be called Stellagram, though. Stella... <laughs> Astronomer's Telegram. <laughs> Everyone, band together. We need to call the non-Astronomer Telegrams their Astronomer's Telegrams. <laughs> I like your way of thought, but no, it is the astronomer's telegram. telegram. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, reporting this issue because they have been observing systematically uh, using optical and near-infrared photometry of these bright stars, both Betelgeuse and also Antares, mm-hmm. precisely because they are the two nearest red supergiants core collapse type 2 supernova progenitors. Yes. Basically, mm-hmm. we'll go boom, boom. So they have been finding that uh, the photometric temperature of the star, Betelgeuse, have been also dimming a bit. So, so it's getting cooler. Now it has a temperature of 3,580 Kelvin, and we have to compare that with around 3,660 Kelvin that 
uh, Betelgeuse has in the maximum brightness. So it's only changed by 80 Kelvin. <laughs> yes, 80 Kelvin. So it really hasn't changed much no, in terms of temperature. It is not that much change, but still that seems to correspond to a change in of 0.2.3 magnitude in V. Okay, so that, that's visual magnitude, so as you see it in the visual spectrum. Exactly. So right now, in that date, on the 7th of December, it reached the lowest value ever measured in our modern time, that is a magnitude of 1.12. Okay. Which is... Reasonably a, dim. That bit dimmer. Still right. So Reasonably that is dim. why they have been also asking for help for trying to get the best of uh, measurements and um, observations of this star. Mm, just they they sent out a the, the, stellogram. The, the um, explanation that they are trying to give to that, it is that perhaps the star is a bit shrinking in size. Okay. And that is also why uh, it is changing in some way. Mm. Uh, but it is not clear. Yeah. Uh, there are some estimations that since 1993, Betelgeuse has rank in diameter by more than 50%. But it's still not clear what is happening in this star. So. Mm. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, yeah, now, and now you can go to your space news. One more, one more space news. It's a bit of an update on Starlink. Oh, Starlink. Okay, it's <laughs> just the, the usual. Oh, Starlink. There have been new simulations put out that show this very drastic video. It's a view of the night sky, and it's also a view of what this almost full constellation of Starlink satellites is going to look like through sunset after the sun has gone down. And I'll tell you what, it is more than concerning. It is very concerning. More than concerning, and it's just... Ugh. I don't really know what to say more about it. You really just have to go watch this video yourselves. What's the the video is called Starlink Satellite Simulation when all twelve thousand are up. Yes. Or, where twelve thousand yeah. is twelve K. Mm-hmm. So we'll put a link up with this post with this episode, but it's it's just awful. Yes, it is, and um, we already mentioned Starlink in our previous episode, and we have a special episode that we we discussed and we talked a lot about the situation here. In just half a year since the very first 60 satellites or the Starlink mega constellation were launched, they have been a second launch Mm -hmm. uh, in November, and they are already scheduled a couple of more for late this month, beginning next month, mm. beginning of the year, and it seems that it's going to be regularly happening during 2020. And it is a concern because we are not ready for, for that. We don't know exactly what to do in the mm. astronomical community. We have been seeing an increasing number of communicates and emails and documents that ask, they're asking astronomers a bit of their feedback. Mm. But I'm not sure how that is considered by the company, by SpaceX. Yes, if it is at all. In any case, we also mentioned that in that episode. I think that the, the really important problem here, it is that there is no any kind of international space agency Mm. that is able to control all of this. Yeah, there's not really much of a 
space. There are space laws, of course, and there's is there, isn't there not yes. a section in the UN yeah, about space but, law? But not that much. Not that and, much. And it is from the late seventies, and so it is quite old, mm. and no one is paying attention to that. Governments and uh, countries and communities, we have not been. This has happened too fast, perhaps. Yeah. Although it has been there, it might happen in the last decade or so. Now that it's finally happening, we are not ready for treating this problem. Mm. And it is a big, big issue. We'll, we'll see. I guess another one is we'll see how it goes. We actually have a question, though, from Alex Satrapa on Twitter. They asked... Which is worse for your type of astronomy, a bright satellite trail taking up pixels or an invisible satellite randomly obscuring stuff? What would you think? The easy answer, and I think it is the right answer, it is that I would rather prefer faint objects moving, moving around. Yeah. Because that is the same thing that, for example, we have when we have clouds. Exactly. <laughs> like, and we know how to deal with clouds. We know how to deal with the lack of light. It's too much light that oversaturates pixels and oversaturates your measurements and just is a pain in the telescope. If there is an object that is moving relatively fast across the field of view and ideally it is not emitting any light and that is an assumption Mm -hmm. because they are going to be emitting some kind of light. Yes, there will be some kind of signature involved. But Considering that it is not emitting any light, it is just doing the dimming of the background, the really things that we want to observe. Mm. And considering that it's moving fast, that actually is not going to be an issue at all. Yeah, well, that's good to know. <laughs> so I would rather say, yes, please, put all the satellites you want to put there, not that close to the Earth. In as long as that. they're dark. <laughs> and they are very dark. And that perhaps it is one of the things that... Um, SpaceX and the other companies that are going to release of this large number of satellites mm. should consider in some way making that the satellites are black enough and not reflecting too much light. Mm. There is plenty of other issues involved doing that because black absorbs much more light. Yes. That is what we want, as mm-hmm. everyone wants, meaning that there should be extra system to refrigerate or to have the functionality of the satellite working. It's a great question, Alex. Thank you for that. So, But we both agree dark satellites are better. Yes. We don't want oversaturated pixels. But I think that should bring us to our main topic for today, and that is, of course, climate change. So unless you've been living under a rock for the last couple of decades... You've certainly heard the phrase climate change or global warming. So today we want to mention a few of the things that we think are important in terms of the climate change discussion that should be had, the fact that it should happen as well. And look, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little angry and a bit anxious. No, no, very anxious (sighs) about the current climate, not just the climate, but also just the climate of, you know, the political climate, the social climate, just everything is terrifying. It is terrifying because it is a very complex problem. It is. It is complex in the sense that... There are many different avenues. The, the issue of climate change and the consequence of the global warming of the Earth 
it just has plenty of ramifications, not only in science, of course, although science, it is the main tool for probably fixing this. Not the only one, but probably one of the main things. But also social aspects, economical aspects, very important economical aspects. I will say that it is one of the main things here. Very much connected to political issues. Mm -hmm. And even sometimes a bit of religious concerns. Everything is very deeply interconnected. And to get an answer and to solve or try to solve the problem, we have to get all these aspects into perspective and put them all together. Mm -hmm. And that is also why it is so, so difficult. I think before we actually start this whole conversation about climate change and before we put our emotions on the line and before we do mention all these things we want to talk about today, we must say, very importantly... We, we don't, don't believe, believe in, in climate, climate change. change. Okay, we don't believe in climate change because... Because that is very important. Believe it is when you have something that you don't have the proof. That's right. For making that a statement. We don't believe in climate we change. We don't believe. We climate change is real. It's real. We have all the proofs. We have all the data. Everyone, almost everyone, let's go to say 97, 98%, perhaps even more, mm -hmm. of the scientists in the world agree that that is real and it is us. It is us. And that is the real problem here. That global warming that is inducing the climate change is a consequence of the human actions. Not only is it just society as a whole, is it the government as a whole, but even astronomers, of course, everyone contributes to the changing climate. Everyone contributes to carbon emissions and whatnot. But what's really great to see is this new white paper that's come out just a couple of days ago. It's titled The Imperative to Reduce Carbon Emissions in Astronomy. It's a paper written by uh, a couple of Australians from key Australian universities uh, around the country, and it's a really eye-opening read. I quite enjoyed reading it. it. While it is confrontational by how much carbon emissions per person per year happen on average, it's still very inspiring in a way that there are people thinking about solutions and people who want to push for these solutions to become the new normal. Yes. I think it is a very convenient and nice paper that um, you have read in detail. I have just gone through a bit of it. I would have liked to have the time to actually read it well, <laughs> but definitely there are many little things that uh, can be done. We are going to be talking, and I think it would be a good idea that you are now summarizing um, this paper and giving the main points, but... What I want to stress right now, it is that the situation with the global warming and climate change, sometimes it seems to be something away from us, in the sense that we are not contributing that much 
and particularly in this time of the year, which is Christmas, that perhaps we are doing things that we should not be doing, we should think deeply about our day-after-day actions, what we usually do as routine, mm. how much impact that has in the environment. Yes. This paper, talking about how to reduce carbon emission in astronomy, it is an example of one field mm. in which someone has thought, okay, what can we do to help to reduce the problem? Exactly right. And it's fantastic. It's an excellent read. I definitely recommend people go ahead and read it. It's not necessarily technical. I think people of many levels will be able to read and comprehend this. So basically, one thing that was said on average, people in astronomy, so faculty scientists, postdoctoral researchers and PhD students, which of which I will be soon, uh, averages about 19 tonnes of CO2 emissions per year per astronomer. Okay, which yeah. it, that sounds like a big number to me. 19 yeah. tonnes, more than 19 tonnes of carbon CO2 emissions per year per astronomer. And it seems pretty straightforward to think this is mostly from flying, which it very much is, especially in Australia. So, so one of the things I have said in this paper, kind of summarising this all up, is that senior scientists have the greatest responsibility to reduce flying since they generate about 70% more emissions per person from flying than postdocs and more than triple than that of PhD students on average. Which is a very interesting thing to see that it's, it, really, it really starts... It's funny, though, because this is indicative of all parts of society, the government... They are the highest in power. They are the ones that should be doing something to start off with, and then it should be trickling down through the masses. Mm -hmm. Not the other way around, around. which is what's happening right now. Um, But essentially, it starts off by saying that... But that is the same way that uh, the countries in the world are behaving. Exactly, exactly right. Because they are the smaller countries, usually are trying to be the most... The, the, the countries that are doing much more, putting much more effort mm. into fighting climate change. Yes. But the big superpower are doing the other way around. Exactly. So Australia makes one of the worst emitters per capita on the planet, okay, which has comparable emission rates to the United States and Canada. So straight away, it's really those big countries that are doing the worst. Really, we are, doing, we are literally doing the worst. And these are the numbers, really. Because I have here the Climate Change Performance Index results 2020 that is done in 56 countries around the world trying to see how they are regarding fighting climate change and reducing the CO2 emissions and other greenhouse gases. And Australia is ranked 56. Out of? 56. Mm-hmm. So it is the last one. So Australia, with an overall very low rating, remains under the bottom five performers. The country continues to receive very low ratings in the energy use category and ranks at the bottom of low performers in both the GEH, greenhouse emissions and renewable energy categories. But Angel, we have clean coal. We have in Australia clean coal. What the 
hell does that mean? We have plenty of sun. That is what we should be doing. Yes. There are so many things we could be doing. That, and we also think, I think that Australia is also very rich in uranium. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, definitely. Australia's known uranium resources are the world's largest. Almost one-third of the world total. Yes. In any case, when we are thinking of moving away from burning fossil fuels, um, burning petrol, gas, carbon, oil, and we are thinking about renewable energies, and the sun is our great ally here. Mm. I'm a huge defender of solar power. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, wind power. Yep. Although uh, there are some few issues there regarding birds and some situations that have been uh, not very well studied, but anyway, and some few other renewable energies that can be also exploited. But many times, many people don't put into this game nuclear energy. Mm Because they still think that it is something problematic, dangerous. Yeah. Because of what had happened in, in, in Yes, in which and few other places that they have not taken all the security measures into account. But scientifically it is safe to produce energy mm-hmm. in uh, using nuclear reactors. Um I, I know it is a very controversial issue. Yeah. But again, that is science and physics. Yeah, exactly. That is telling you that you can do that. And, and we and we know a lot about these sorts of reactions and how to utilize those reactions and the energy that they produce. Exactly. But even though nuclear reactors, they are using only a very few part of the product that usually uranium mm. that they use for producing the energy. Because we can only extract, I think to remember it was something like 10, 50 percent. Mm-hmm. And the rest, it is the nuclear waste that we have to put away in some place. And some people are also concerned about that. Yeah. The point here it is that we right now do not know perhaps how to explode the rest of that energy. Mm-hmm. But in 20 or 50 years, we will. Yeah. And also, perhaps we are able to do not fission, but fusion reactions. Because our understanding is is ever-growing, and we are innovating new ways to utilize and be more sustainable with these waste products. A real ecologist in this world should understand that putting barriers to nuclear energy, it is completely counterproductive if you want to fight climate change. Mm -hmm. Really, it is. Because right now, we know it is safe. We know how to use it. We have to be sure that the security mechanisms are in control. We have to learn from the very disastrous situation that had happened in Japan and the mm. famous in Chernobyl and so on. But the Chernobyl thing was something out of the place. It is, of course, that would have not happened in any other, I mean, in, in other developed country, let's say that way. Because yes. they just systematically and by order of some someone <laughs> skipped and 
don't consider all the security measures, mm -hmm. even though the technician there were saying, we should not be doing this. Yeah. We cannot do that. That is going to be... No, 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 no. We ha you have to do it because that is an order. Mm. Anyway, moving away from that, again, I want to emphasize it is something that we have to consider very seriously if we really want to get to a progress in in reducing our emission of greenhouse gases and yes. CO2 in particular. And because that's that's it. It's, it is really, if you look at, okay, if you listen to some of the politicians say climate change is not human-made, some people will say that climate change is not human-made. It's not a human, humans aren't contributing to the change in climate. Some acknowledge that the climate is changing and things are changing, but they don't acknowledge that it is human-made. Others, of course, just blatantly deny it. Not really going to say much about them. But let's actually have a look at how our observed temperature has changed over the last more than 100 years. Okay, obviously it is very much increasing. There's a clear trend going up. But let's have a look at how this possibly correlates with orbital changes. There's a great video that Angel's showing me right now that we see the observed temperature change and we're looking at the orbital changes. Orbital changes, nothing. nothing. It is, they are completely flat. Mm -hmm. the, or, the orbit of the Earth does not change over this small period of time. Mm -hmm. okay? And we are talking about 150, I don't know, about 150 years. years here. That's right. And it is just so dramatic to see, particularly in the last 40, 50, how exponentially it is growing up. Exactly. That is the temperature. That is the temperature is exponentially going up. So orbital changes, nothing. Flat. Debunked. Gone. Okay. So let's go to the next one. The next one is the solar irritants. So a lot of politicians and a lot of people have been saying that, oh, it's the sun. The sun's getting hotter. The sun's is shining brighter. And so that's why the climate's changing. Yeah, no. No. That is not it. Yes, the sun's irritants, and that is the brightness of it, or how much energy we receive from the sun, does change. The sun goes through an 11-year cycle. It's generally due, well, definitely correlated to the magnetic field, how that changes and how the sun rotates. Maybe we should do an episode on that one day. We have to. Um, we should do an episode on the sun one day. We have to do an episode about the sun and actually uh, I will talk about that in, eventually with you because uh, I would like to have a special guest. Okay. Oh, exciting. And he's <laughs> going to be in pyjamas because oh. we will be recording this during his midnight or something like that. <laughs> so... Look, look forward to that. But yes, the solar irritants, you have an 11-year cycle. Yes, the sun does change brightness on certain occasions. Sometimes it gets dimmer. Sometimes it gets brighter. But overall, it stays flat. But let's keep the number here. Because you see the little oscillations, and there is another nice plot that I have here. Mm -hmm. Oh, I saw that, that one. That one that is showing very clearly the, how the sun is changing because of the solar cycle, mm -hmm. the, of the irradiance of the, of the sun in this 11-year cycle. And when you compare the amplitude of these peaks of maximum and minimum of activity, with respect to the average value of the sun, mm -hmm. that is only 0.15%. 0.15%. 0.15%. 0.15%. 0.15%. 0.15%. Maximum. Maximum. 0.15%. And, and that is that peak. 
0.15%. Just I'm going to say that one more time just for emphasis. 0.15%. And in the same period, it is very evident that the temperature of the Earth, the average temperature of the Earth, have increased more than a degree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, it is not the sun. Not the sun. Not the not sun. The In sun. this plot, again, more or less flat. So, That's... not the orbit of the Earth and not the sun. Okay. Volcanic activity. Now, this is a pretty... This, I could... If, without seeing any data, I could believe volcanic activity could contribute to some degree. And it has in the past. Okay. Volcanoes, generally, they emit a lot of carbon dioxide. They also emit a lot of ash. So volcano volcanic activity can contribute to both warming and, and cooling. cooling. Okay, so it's the I don't know why I would, I would want to say this, but it's the best of both worlds, I guess. <laughs> but no, it kind of cancels each other out. But also no. Um, but if we look at it in terms of this 150 year range of time, there are some oscillations. There are but some oscillations. More or less flat. More or less and flat. There are more dips that actually increases. Mm, so, that, yeah, there are more dips towards where the temperature is increasing. So, yes, yeah. oh, I so don't it, know about that. It is actually not. Not. The not. global warming is not a consequence of volcanoes activity. No. The next one is the three together. When you put yeah, so all orbital, the three solar, combined, and volcanic. And you get a flat, more or yes. less. Yes, pretty, it's all pretty much flat. Okay, nothing, nothing too strenuous on those three categories. It is what we should expect. We have three more or less flat lines, then we add them together, still flat. Mm-hmm. Because zero plus zero plus zero is still zero. zero. What about deforestation or the land use? Okay. So land use, still pretty flat, decreasing maybe, maybe a little bit towards the end, but not mm. significantly. Flat. Okay. So During land the use. 150. Mm. Okay, let's go to ozone, ozone pollution. pollution. Okay, which is interesting because ozone pollution, ozone is pretty much fine because, oh, when was it? So many, many years ago, there was an agreement across the board, across the world, to cut chlorofluorocarbon emissions or CFC emissions in the Montreal Protocol, okay, from 1987. Okay, so well, well before our current time to cut chlorofluorocarbon emissions because CFCs are the really bad guys that break up ozone. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, if I remember my chemistry correctly, and if there's a chemist listening here, please do correct me if I'm wrong. The chlorine in the chlorofluorocarbons just literally break apart ozone from O3 into O2. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. O2, good. We breathe it, sure. But not up in the stratosphere or up where the ozone layer actually is. And that is important because O3, ozone, it is the molecule that is in charge of stopping the ultraviolet light. That's right. It absorbs Um, ultraviolet radiation and reduces, I guess you could say it reduces sunburn. It's like, it's it's the sunscreen of the earth. Yes, it is. It is. And it is very important. It is protecting the biosphere of the earth of getting many this or the majority of this uh, very high energy ultraviolet radiation that is very bad for life and we Indeed. have seen that because in we've everywhere. seen it in the past uh, because ozone as we said protects us from ultraviolet radiation and these little tiny 
protoplankton sort of things at the very bottom of the food chain, they are very sensitive to light and very sensitive to ultraviolet radiation. And once they're gone, there's a chain reaction going up the food chain of mass extinction. Okay, so ozone, very important to stay. But we've done a good job at cutting chlorofluorocarbon emissions. And that is the example I wanted to show before. So there was internationally an agreement of reducing CFCs. Yes, the Montreal Protocol. The Montreal Protocol. And everyone, all countries, started doing that. And now we are recovering the huge hole in the ozone layer that we had over, over the Antarctica. And it's like, we, we've done it before. We, and we have we've done, done it. it. We have done it. As civilization, we have been able to solve a major environmental problem, putting all the countries together. Mm. What's the difference now, guys? <laughs> Why have we dropped the ball? <laughs> yeah, that is something that we should check. Anyway, um, what is next? Okay, so aerosols is next, so that's the chlorofluorocarbons, so they're clear decrease. And there is something important here, because aerosols are also um, greenhouse gases. Mm -hmm. They also are. And it seems, and there have been studies that are confirming that putting together the Montreal Protocol for reducing aerosols with CFCs uh, for protecting the ozone layer have contributed to in some way, mitigate the global warming of the Earth. Right. A bit. A little bit. A little bit. Without this, probably the temperature of the Earth right now will be even higher. Mm -hmm. Very probably. And the effect will have been even more, more, much more, more drastic, drastic yes. right now. So, we did a good thing in yeah, the 80s. We, we but let's do it again now. Not real. So Here we go. Here's the kicker. So now the concentration of greenhouse gases. And I think you all know what's going about to happen here. Oh, wow. It goes up the same as the temperature. It is exactly. It is just completely copying the variation of temperature. Variation of temperature with slight changes there and there. But it's, it's the clear the, trend the going clear up. Trend, and, we are, and that is very important here. We have to pay attention not to the small variations. We have to pay attention to the global trend. That That's is right. something that we, we in astronomy do plenty of times. Exactly. It's not, it's not about small little blips. It's not about small little trends. It's about statistically significant trends, because which this is. I have seen, or we have seen many of us, some kind of plots that have been chosen arbitrarily eight years and seven months or something like that because it was a particular interesting period that we have effect like the La Nina and mm -hmm. the Nino changing a bit the patterns of temperature of the Earth. It was a bit cooler. It does make it a bit wobbly. But it's still warmer than it was 20 years ago. But That's if right. you only choose <laughs> you those only, seven years... If you and only you, consider a small time. <laughs> and that a small time and you put, okay, let's go to get an average. And you see the average has changing, but the average is 0, 0.0. And then the... Crazy people, the negationists, they say, no, it is not changing here, it's zero, zero. Mm. Anyway, we were just talking about different things here, and I jumped from one topic to the other, and we were still discussing the paper about how astronomers can contribute or can try to. So how, how can we actually try to do better? How can we do better? 
So one case study uh, done by Wines and Donner in 2018, so they suggest business-related flights from university employees contribute approximately two-thirds of the emissions from campus operations. So just flights alone consider a sig- the significant majority of emissions from university campuses. So uh, in Australia, aviation is responsible for 22.02 megatons of carbon dioxide emissions in 2016 alone, okay, which suggests that, an a- that aviation is responsible for about 4% of the country's total emissions. Wow. Which is... It quite. may sound small, but that's but quite significant. Quite a lot, yes. That is quite significant. Hmm. Okay. So flying is obviously quite significant. But uh, how, how can we actually, what are some of the solutions that astronomers and institutions can do to reduce emissions based on this particular white paper? One, obviously, reduce flying. Okay, even in Australia, as an astronomer in Australia, obviously, international flights are inevitable for conferences and whatnot. But even for domestic conferences, you need to travel a far distance because Australia is a big place. Okay, even just going to Melbourne for a conference often requires a flight. Yes. Okay. But Sometimes we are doing that just for the day. Exactly. It's just there and back in one day, which is tough. It's, it's tough on the environment. It's tough on the people as well. And it's tough on institutions to try and reduce these issues. So for flights that it re- required to go to like small meetings and whatnot, have them via conference call. Yeah, so meeting, video conference, video conferences, meeting. and that is something that in Australia have been we have been doing that more often lately. Mm-hmm. But still, I think we can do it even better. That's so right. Th- there is a situation here in which sometimes it is really important to go to the place. Sometimes it very much is for an international conference or for a particular in- intense conference that uh, you're going to be there for several days talking to the very high experts in your field and so on, that still I think it is almost the only flights. Way. Flights are always going to be inevitable, of course. Similarly, when you have to go to the telescope to observe, mm. if you have to go, because many times perhaps you can do it remotely, in fact, there's a remote observing room in this building that we're in right now. And I have been doing plenty of remote observings from here. Mm-hmm. But I still prefer going. Luckily, I don't have to fly for yes. going to the telescope. Although it means a seven hours driving. Yeah, but the things we do, the <laughs> things we do. Another interesting thing in terms of carbon offsetting is making sure that institutions and telescope facilities are powered by renewable energy. And if it's not powered by renewable energy, pushing for it to be powered by renewable energies, including solar and wind, mm-hmm. which is, I think is a very good thing to really push for. Like yes. we, we can make a difference in the astronomical community by doing these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. And, and I insist solar particularly is the way to go. Mm. Again, I'm going to put the example right now. We are in Christmas and we have plenty of houses illuminated with little LEDs. Many of these are powered by little solar panels. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really very cheap. cheap. Very they're cute, very cheap. very cheap. And I love them. And I love them particularly because these LEDs are not bright. Exactly. Are not very bright. They are dim enough. So, okay, it is Christmas. You have your house with some few lightnings and they're outside, but 
we are not using, although LED is very cheap, the, the power that you're consuming is, is almost nothing. Mm. When you add hundreds in your house or thousands even, perhaps, mm. perhaps, because if you have five or two hundred, you have the thousands. If you're that intense in your Christmas then <laughs> decorating. If you start adding all of those in all the houses in your street, in your suburb, in your city, mm. that makes a lot of difference. It does. Yeah. It really does. And I'm not going to enter into the big problem of the light pollution. Perhaps we, we, we say a bit a extra bit later. Another let's, time. <laughs> let, yeah, let's, go, let, let's go for that. Let's go for finish this. Yeah, so very much so renewable energies for institutions and telescope facilities, also in terms of supercomputer usage, hmm. which was I found very interesting. Yes, I'm an observational astronomer, so I'm not used to use that much of supercomputing power or this yeah, kind of... Yeah, the sorts of things that we do doesn't t- don't take a lot of computational power, exactly. generally. But there are other astronomers that they actually do, and we are lucky enough to be able to be using this kind of supercomputers in some facilities. Mm. And they do need power. They do. They need a lot of power. A lot of power. So I definitely recommend having a read through this paper. Again, the title is The Imperative to Reduce Carbon Emissions in Astronomy. It is available for you to read on the archive, so it's completely available to the public. Please do give it a read and think about what you can do as an individual or you can do as a part of your neighbourhood or as a part of your local area to try and reduce or as as part of your workplace. What What can you do to reduce your carbon emissions? Because the more people do this, the bigger of a difference we can make. Mm-hmm. Um, completely agree with that too. There are two points here that we have to consider. One, it is how societies, uh, governments are taking into account the problem of climate change and trying to get actions and really do things about it. Mm. For that, probably the main issue here will be to completely change the way we produce energy. Yes. The governments are producing energy, or what we, our societies are producing no energy. No more clean coal, guys. So moving away from uh, fossil fuels, for burning fossil fuels, mm-hmm. and going into renewables and nuclear. But that is something that really we need laws and a big agreement between uh, governments, uh, the politicians, uh, companies, because there are plenty of economical interest there, mm. and that is particularly the situation here in Australia. Yes. So that is one thing. The other little thing, it is what we can do, each of us. Mm. So I have been recently very much inspired by my son, who is only six years old, turning seven next month, and he was asked to do his very first public speech at the school, Mm -hmm. and he decided to talk about how can we care about the environment. Oh, that's lovely. So, Good on him. The the point here it is that the consciousness of the, the, the young people are really into that, mm. even these very young ages. I hope to think it is because some of us, uh, his teachers and the parents, are putting the effort of trying to get them to understand that. Also because they are starting to understand our 
Earth, our planet, our environment, our universe, and they want to keep it everything safe. Mm. But I was very surprised about that, and I was helping him to try to get this speech, and he was insisting about using the three R's. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Lovely. So he was just chasing things that we can be using, How can example of how using this kind of reducing the amount of waste that we are we are making at the moment which is huge reusing the the things that we have and also if we cannot reuse them recycle to do other things mm. and and i think it is very important because particularly in this time of the year and we have mentioned christmas a couple of times we are illuminating our cities and our homes much more because we are festivity and whatever. Mm. We are buying plenty of things, many of them perhaps we don't need them that much. And with the craziness not only of Christmas but also the Black Friday mm -hmm. that's now worldwide. Yes. And just making, you have to spend, you have to do, you have to get this. Consume, and, consume, and consume, consume. Consume, consume, consume. Um, And there is something wrong there that is very much connected with the problem. So we have to try to change in some way our habits. And I have also this example of what had happened to me that I was talking to you that the other day when we record our first episode of the third season. Mm. That was that I, before even that Black Friday, was just something that I did in late uh, October. I ordered some few books in Spanish mm -hmm. because I cannot find those books here in Australia. Unfortunately, I wish, because mm -hmm. one of my long-time passions have been going into libraries and to bookshops and have a look to the news and the new books and whatever I can find. And I still try to do that here. Of course, do that only with in books in English. Mm -hmm. But for not only for me, it's mainly for my son, who is bilingual, but he also needs this books and I want him to use books and not tablets. <laughs> and yes. Not... <laughs> I say holding a tablet. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just to get a balance of the different things. The point is I wanted the book and I wanted some few of, of notebooks for writing and doing exercising in Spanish and some few books and I have them actually there. Um, Pokemon books in Spanish and so Okay, I did all the the order I put everything together in the same package mm, and I in the same order specifically say please send it all together I don't mind waiting because that is going to be for Christmas yes doesn't matter mm. I received eleven different packages so eleven, eleven different packages every little book even the three notebooks that they are very thin oh my goodness they're barely like that 20 thing, pages big that's that thing only tiny. 40 pages in And there were Single. three of them coming together, 3.1, 3.2, 3.3. They were everyone in a single package with plenty of unwanted publicity and other papers My that goodness. I didn't want. And I was... All individually wrapped. Everyone. My goodness. Yep. In cardboard boxes. So I was really angry. Mm. to that because not I only is that just wasteful but it's also just annoying it is it is annoying because i have been receiving this these books for a couple of weeks i, I don't know if that is the right way of doing that i no. know that there are plenty of people that are getting plenty many 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 things just in in, in the internet mm. 
And that is an extra problem that we might have in our societies and how the people who are actually mm, doing that, that thing is getting to you are treated. But at the end of the day, there is a person who is using a truck of a car, I don't know exactly what, mm. to come here. 11 times. Mm -hmm. Not to mention if it's on a different flight from Spain each time as exactly. well. Probably they are not even coming from Spain. They're coming from, I don't know, from UK or from, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Wherever they come from. Who knows? So that is something that we have to do. So now I know for the next time. Now I know for the next time. Mm. Next time it will be easier because I'm planning to go to Spain. So I could probably get them. Pick them up yourself. And bring them here. But mm. this year that I couldn't go, that was the only way of getting this. And I was very, very upset. So that is a little thing to think about that. Mm. So there have been plenty of ideas, suggestions of how we can try to make our conscience clear that we are doing something about climate change and global warming mm. as a society we really have to stop and think clearly of what we are doing we really do and consider and, all the consequences and consider all the consequences under the bucket of getting to a point of no return is starting to be close yes very very close and you are not going to fix this saying okay Let's go to do not put any emoticon of a plastic bottle of a cap with a straw. <laughs> no more emojis with plastic in them. Because that's really the problem here. <laughs> emojis. Oh, I think, okay, I think I'm sure you are all feeling a bit exhausted right now as much as we are because we've gone really far down the rabbit hole. It's all very emotional and very hard to handle. Because, it, again, it is a very complex situation that we're in here. It is. And I would like to wrap it not with our words, mm. but with my son's words. Okay. With the last couple of sentences of his speech that he agreed to record for us. Excellent. The very big problem of the environment is that the climate of the earth is changing because of the human's actions. Any other planet in the solar system, not even Mars or any other of the more than 4,000 planets astronomers have discovered around other stars are like the earth. Now, I promised you all at the very start that obviously we would get quite emotional and we're all kind of there, but I promised I'd bring you with some feel-good news or something something fun for the end of the episode uh, before so, we finish with uh, our WhatsApp, before finishing with WhatsApp. And of so course it wh is... What do you have? It is, it's the Christmas season, you know, it's always Christmas. Christmas is next week, less than a couple of days. Ah! So I thought I'd uh, have a look and find us 12 unique space gifts for astronomy lovers. Okay, but let's go to make a point before. I'm, I'm going to try not to be too serious, but I'm going to make a point. So, so you want to get one of these, try to avoid, you know, fly to another country to get those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or getting a very fancy packet with a box with uh, whatever. Sorry, just... 
If you have the chance of getting them easily without sustainable, more, sustainably, exactly, yeah, yeah, that is the word. So here we go, sustainable, hopefully sustainable gifts for your astronomy lovers. Okay, number one is the galactic tidal star streams print. What? I think is quite nice. It's a nice little print of a galaxy and some tidal star streams around the galaxy from, I would assume. A galaxy merging with the big galaxy. Yeah, which is quite cool. Probably that is a representation. Let me have a look. Yeah, it seems it seems a representation of the dwarf Sagittarius galaxy. Possibly that is on the other part of the Milky Way with the stellar streams that have been actually detected in 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 our galaxy connected to that. So it is a mm. very very nice image. Although I will say at the end of the day, any kind of astronomical poster. Would, yeah, we'll do it. It would do. It would, be, it would do pretty well. Yeah. Fun little uh, claim to fame for myself, actually. A, uh, a colleague of mine, or I guess a, a, a fellow student of mine that I went through undergrad with, Nick Basado, he, in his honours project, went looking for stellar streams and actually discovered two. Mm-hmm. So there are two, I believe it's two streams called the Basado streams. Oh. Which is very cool. <laughs> very cool. He gets yeah. to name something after himself. It's so awesome. We should talk about the stellar streams in another episode. Maybe we can get it on the episode. Mm. Oh, so many options. Okay, the next one is the planet mug, which is you have all the planets just with a black background, but as soon as you add hot liquid into it, oh, lots of details come so up about kind, those planets. These kind of mugs are starting to be quite popular. I have mm. seen it with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. That one, the beam me up one. Yeah, the beam me oh, that's up. so cool. That is very, very nice. That's very, very cool. But at the end of the day, and the point here it is that they are mugs. And then yes. you can use them many, many, many times Indeed. without needing any other of plastic. No, re- no, it's a reusable bug. So many reusable, many, many times. And a little thing that we can do in our habits to reduce a bit more waste mm-hmm. and reducing CO2. There's a very funny little comment here about the mug. It's, could dark matter, the mysterious substance that holds the universe together, be coffee? It's a controversial theory, but it makes a lot of sense at 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that. Then you have the 2020 Deep Space Mysteries calendar. Always good. It's usable for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Quite nice. It's always a good idea to have an astronomical calendar. Mm-hmm. We also have a moon hat. So it's a, be- a beanie with different phases of the moon yeah. around the head. Ah, okay. Very nice. A moon hat. Moon hat, yes. Next, we have a Mars globe for those wanting to spend a little extra money. It's almost $100, but it does look very, very cool. Well, Mars globe, Earth globes, they are very popular too, Yeah, but we live here. But we live here. Mars, they have the moon. Uh, There is another one with the cosmic background radiation. Oh, that's very cool. Very, very cool. I also have the Space and Beyond box. So it's kind of like a... Uh, a subscription sort of service so you get different spacey things each month in this particular box so it's like you're sending someone to buy spacey things for you each month which is kind of cool you also have the 2020 observers handbook perfect for any observer anyone who's interested in astrophotography what sort of things to look up at in 2020 we also have space exploration postcards Mm-hmm. Although I'm not going to lie, I'd probably keep all of them for myself. Yes, <laughs> that is the problem when you get to something like that. Mm-hmm. We also have a solar system bracelet. Okay. With Pluto. With Pluto. Yeah. Well, then you sh- they should have added the other four dwarf planets. Indeed. See, I have a solar system bracelet as well that my auntie gave me, and it does not have Pluto. 
Mm-hmm. It has a, it has not even the sun. So my arm oh, is supposed I to be the sun. Isn't it that. cute? Oh, so you got Mercury, Mercury Venus, Venus, and then Earth, Mars and the moon. So Earth, Earth and the moon. And the moon are together. And then Mars, Jupiter, with even a little red spot on it. Look at okay, how detail that, is that? Wow, plenty of That's detail. That's really cool. Saturn, Saturn without the ring. It's a bit of a weird color as well, but they, these are actual gemstones, so they're not painted or anything. Mm. Then you have Uranus and. Neptune. That is very nice. Isn't it cute? It's very helpful for when kids ask, what are the, especially if I forget the <laughs> the order of the planets, I have it here on my wrist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will not, not say anything. Not that it happens often, but sometimes it does. There. We also have a constellation tote bag. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a cute little thing. I would like this next one, actually. So if anyone hasn't bought me a gift yet, if anyone's listening, um, it's a Starburst Galaxy M82 puzzle. Ah, very nice. So a puzzle also, of M82. A puzzle of M82. That mm. would be really cool. I would actually quite like that. And, of course, number 12, because what space nerdy gift isn't complete with this? And it is Cosmos by Carl Sagan. Ah, yes. Of course. Of course. Of course. Okay. With a new forward by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. Less good. But still, but. Cosmos by Carl Sagan. Still <laughs> very, very good. There. Mm-hmm. So there we go. There are 12 unique space-themed gifts for your astro nerd so these holidays. one of them, actually, I think I'm going to get it because... No. Oh. <laughs> it is not the same thing, I know. But it's a Starry Night puzzle. The, one of the Van Gogh Starry Night puzzles. Uh, not puzzle, I mean the Starry Night <laughs> <laughs> painting. Cafe at Night, I think. Cafe at Night. Cafe at Night, I think it is this one. And um, with the stars. And yeah, I, and I saw it uh, some, some time ago and I said, okay, I'm going to buy it. And that will be one of my presents for Christmas. Ah. Not for Christmas. It is actually for the three kings, three wise oh. kings, because in Spain we usually give the main gifts not the 25th of December, mm-hmm. but the 6th of January, oh. because that is the tradition there. It is the three wise kings that are bringing presents to baby Jesus. Ah, there you go. So that will be for that moment, because I know that usually I don't get things, so I auto-give them. <laughs> I try to keep the... Um, Emotion and illusion for my kid, anyway. Ah, wonderful. So there we go. So a little bit of a feel-good end to the episode, but not quite end just yet, because, of course, we do have our What's Up section. And I suggested uh, this time that we do a lovely little star that I do like to show through telescopes quite often. It's nothing too interesting to look at, but it is quite an interesting star, a very peculiar star, and it is Akanar. Akanar. The end of the river, mm-hmm. which it is indeed... The end of the river constellation, Eridanus. Eridanus. Yes. 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 Uh, that is another star, by the way, that can be not seen from the northern hemisphere. I think it is, uh, you have to go below latitude 33 north or something yep. like that to, to see it. Well, it is. It is indeed rises above the horizon beyond 33 degrees north. Yes. Okay. See. So <laughs> Perfect. I, I, I remember well. So that means that from main from Europe you cannot see it. From the majority of the US you can see it. Mm-hmm. From the Canary Islands actually you can. Yeah. Yep. And definitely all the southern hemisphere, Equator and, and so on. And I like this star a lot. Not only because it is one of my 
new friends when I moved to Australia. It's <laughs> one of these brightest stars because even though from the Canary Islands it is not very, it, I saw it a couple of times, but, but not it's not much significant. Because, yeah, because it is still very low over the horizon. Yeah, Canopus, for example, Canopus, that star, it's very very high over the horizon from the Canary Islands, but mm -hmm. you cannot see that one from the from even from south of Spain. Right. So it's it is it is nice. Anyway, so what I was saying it is that I still use this star many times as a reference when we are setting up the telescope and we have to do the pointings to yes, several brightest stars. It's a stars. very good bright star to a use. Kerner is one of if it is up, it's always appearing in 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 the tablet just for alignment of the telescope. Because mm. it is a decently bright star, magnitude minus one point four six. No, that's absolute magnitude. That is the absolute magnitude. Parent magnitude zero point four. So decently bright. Yeah, I think it is the eighth brightest star. I think to remember that I read that in some place, but definitely uh, between the tenth. And for sure, what it is that is the bluest of all them all. Mm. But this is not what makes it peculiar, in my eyes at least. So, this, so obviously, with stars, they're generally quite spherical in shape, but this star is the least spherical star. It's what we would call an oblate spheroid. Because hmm, yeah. it's squishy. It is. <laughs> it's it squishy. Is. It's almost half the height as it is wide. It is quite squishy. So it is okay. the equatorial diameter is around 56% greater than the polar diameter. That's right. Yeah. So it's 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 quite it's mm -hmm. decently fat. Yeah, you, I guess you could say. I, I remember very much uh, one of these illustrations from Cosmos that mentioned before the video TV series mm -hmm. by Carl Sagan. Um, but also the book is something very much to recommend. That. But there is an il a particular illustration that is showing two elongated stars that I try to remember that there, are, uh, there is a double star in Lyra constellation, mm -hmm. one of these double stars that they have been shown that it also have this kind of oblate mm. shape. And it's quite peculiar because you might think that all stars are rounded. Of course. But they're not. They're not because some spin very fast. And mm. that's what Akinar does. It's rotational velocity so how fast it spins at its fastest, it does have a bit of a, a gradient along different parts of the star, but its fastest rotational speed is 250 kilometers per second. second. That is fast. That is very fast Ooh, indeed. That, that's almost the speed of sound. No, that's much that faster than the speed faster, of sound. What am I talking about? Much faster than the speed of sound. That is around 730 times the speed of sound. Traveling that speed, you could get from Sydney to Perth in about 16 seconds. There yeah. we go. Yeah, so it's spinning really fast. That's basically the point we're trying to make here. But uh, it's, it's very bright, so for those in the Southern Hemisphere and a bit of the Northern Hemisphere, have a look out for it. It's up nice and high at the moment yes, and right a now very is. easy to find star. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can try to identify all the constellations of Eridanus. Mm. And at your Christmas parties, you can point out to your friends and family, like, hey, see that star? It's an oblate spheroid the least spherical star and they'd be like no no way no, say no, not this guy just told me <laughs> it's true 
Yeah, so that is our WhatsApp for this episode. Wow, we've gone on for a very long time today. I think we might need to change our description from 30-minute episodes to one-hour-long episodes. Pro- probably, because we're trying to be that kind of order. But yes. anyway, anyway, that's fine. All, all good. The important thing is having the content there. That's right. So as a complete finish for today's episode... We want to wish you all a very happy holidays. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your holidays. Merry Christmas. All sorts of things. Enjoy a happy new year as well. And enjoy a new moon over the Christmas period. So very good observing conditions for this Christmas period if too. If you are trying to get some observing instead of being parting. Which Up to some, you. For yeah. some people might be difficult. Actually, I'm dying just for using my new telescope. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to contact us. You can always send us more questions. Okay, We will always take on your questions for our new future episodes. Uh, yeah, we, we actually have a couple of things that probably we are going to do in the next episode because we have run out of time. We have run out of time. We try. We try so hard. But yeah, always send us your questions on Twitter, Facebook, via email. You can find us at The Scientists. All right. We hope to hear from you soon. Good. Hopefully we might have some more to talk about in the new year. So we look forward to seeing you guys next year in 2020. Okay. Have a good time. Yeah, thank you. And have a very good uh, Christmas and all the best for the new year. Bye-bye. Bye. We're almost at the end of my talk. And this is where people usually start talking about hope solar panels, wind power, circular economy, and so on. But I'm not going to do that. We've had 30 years of pep-talking and selling positive ideas. And I'm sorry, but it doesn't work. Because if it would have, the emissions would have gone down by now. They haven't. And yes, we do need hope. Of course we do. But the one thing we need more than hope is action. Once we start to act, hope is everywhere. So instead of looking for hope, look for action. Then, and only then, hope will come. Today, we use 100 million barrels of oil every single day. There are no politics to change that. There are no rules to keep that oil in the ground. So we can't save the world by playing by the rules. Because the rules have to be changed. Everything needs to change. And it has to start today. Thank you.